Blog Talk Radio. Let's get lost in a better place. Pick up a bird, travel through time and space. So much to learn, so much to see. A chance to escape reality. Open your mind and your heart. Gain new knowledge for a fresh new start. They never will bring you there So let's talk about it When life and on the air Good morning everyone, this is Fran Lewis, this is Book Talk Brought to you by MJ Network in memory of my sister Marcia Joyce This is going to be so fantastic um, J.M. Adams is here and we're going to talk about second term September 2012, Cora Walker, a DIA defense operative, learns of a terrorist plot in Benghazi and rushes to a secret installation to stop it. When her superiors ignore her warnings, she is forced to, I can't say this writing, forced to mount an unsanctioned attempt to thwart the attack the team barely repels the large force of marauders determined to kill Americans. And there's a whole lot more. They're going to bring this to the present, and they're going to talk about January 6th and what happened then. So good morning, and welcome to MJ Network. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, this is, this is going to be interesting. So how did you create the first chapter in North Africa with Cora Walker? She's really good. Well, what happened is I I had an adventure, if you will, set aside for Cora mm. in 2028, but I really wanted mm. to give the readers uh, a firm understanding of who she was. And at first, I was just going to try and do a chapter, almost like a prologue, but then I realized that I didn't think that was sufficient in describing the woman that Cora was or it was at the time and would become later in 2028. Mm. That's interesting. So how does she meet Deckard, and what happens in Chapter 2 that makes you wonder about the CIA station? Well, the CIA did have, and, and of course this 2020, this 2012 action with Cora is based on the realities of the Benghazi attack on September mm. 11, 2012. And there was a secret CIA installation, and that is what Cora is determined to make her way to because she's come across the information mm. that there is going to be an imminent attack against a visiting ambassador. Yeah, nobody really seemed to be too concerned about the poor ambassador. Oh, God. <laughs> I know. I know. There's something about that poor ambassador. What can I say? So... And the lack of motive, they have a lack of motivation to protect him. Why didn't they take this seriously? And what, what, what about the ambassador? They didn't care if he gets killed. <laughs> well, that, that's kind of the, uh, the interesting question that the book looks at, and that's actually something yeah. that the protagonist, Cora Walker, brings up with the ambassador, is that this attack is coming. The State Department is aware it's coming. How come you're not more concerned 
Yeah. And he says to her, he says to her, do you think this is some kind of conspiracy? And she's like, I'm not calling it a conspiracy, but you should be worried because this is real and this is happening. Obviously, he didn't think anybody would want him dead. Yeah. Sometimes well, you've got to face reality. And I'm surprised <laughs> that they didn't you know, have more people around him or guards or something. It's scary. Well, the t- interesting thing is, is that the State Department did correctly determine that al-Qaeda was not uh, – the ambassador was not a target of al-Qaeda at the time. Ooh. But Cora very adeptly brought up to the ambassador, you know, there doesn't have to be – a terrorist group that can kill you doesn't have to be al-Qaeda. Well, we know that, don't we, from yes, the news. That's even, I know, it's horrible. So who is Jimmy Buchanan, and tell us more about Deckard. So Deckard is the – he leads the team of operatives that – uh, protect the CIA, the CIA outpost in Benghazi. Mm-hmm. Um, the CIA kind of operates in a little bit of a cloud of euphoria because they think they're a secret installation, but uh, when you see Americans flying into Benghazi airport, uh, big, strong, military-looking men going in and out in shades and uh, mm-hmm. SUVs, that doesn't exactly blend in with the population of Benghazi. So the fact that they think they're a secret uh, operation, I mean, certainly the operatives know that they are not a well-kept secret, but the CIA uh, doesn't. The CIA still thinks that they're some kind of covert operation, not realizing that obviously the people of Benghazi know that there is some kind of Western outpost in Benghazi because once been, once mm. Gaddafi died, the city of Benghazi became – there were more weapons than people. And so there were murders in the streets and people dying all the time, and all the Western powers pulled out except for the United States. Oh, God. So I'm looking at cha- Chapter 6 in front of me, and I don't want to read the last paragraph, but oh, gosh – what was the con- what was the outcome in chapter six, and what happened? Um, well, in terms of the fact that the the outposts, uh, the, yeah, there was there was no question that the attack was coming, um, and but by the time six or seven o'clock had come at night, Cora realized that she had made a mistake and that there wasn't going to be an attack, but when the attack happened, they wanted to rapidly deploy to get to the embassy, or, well, it's a consulate, it's a temporary embassy, but the CIA wanted the local officials to handle it, and that's why everything turned into such a a quagmire. Well, if you look at the news today, you begin to wonder who you can believe and who you can't believe anymore at all. It, it's, right. it's it's scary. I mean, from what I remember from 9/11, because I was in school with my with my students, I they, they knew something was coming, but they didn't do anything about it. That's what's even scarier, because who knows? And then when it did happen in the second tower, nobody took it that seriously. Right. That was even well, the, worse. One of the correlations I draw in the book is that. Uh, I, I draw a lot of comparisons between yeah. the January 6th incident and Benghazi because the problem with 
the 9-11 attacks is that the information network, if you will, of the intelligence community yeah. was very fractured. They weren't sharing any yeah. information. But if you look at Benghazi and you look at the the incident at the Capitol on January 6, 2021, uh, they there was no question. There was unequivocal evidence. Everybody knew it was coming, but they decided to let it play out in both instances. And that's kind of the a little bit of the message of the book is that, you know, sometimes the government knows something's very bad is going to happen, and they just let it play out rather than being – they they like to be reactive instead of proactive, and that's a that's a textbook case in both Benghazi and January sixth. It's it's scary because basically they don't want to get caught with it. And I guess maybe whoever does the the, the um, attack or something, they get to blame it on somebody else and just say I didn't know. That's scary. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So the target date is September eleventh, twenty twelve. What did Cora think was going to happen, and why? Um, Cora had been undercover. I, I don't know if you've heard about Derna, but about three months ago, the entire town of Derna was wiped off the map by mm-hmm. a freak tropical storm. But up until that point, Derna was the richest and most luxurious and most beautiful. It was kind of like the Beverly Hills of North Africa. Um, mm. It had beautiful beaches. People came around, came from around the world to vacation there, and they had chateaus and waterfalls, and that's where Cora was based with a family, a very wealthy family, but she was mm. not based. She was planted undercover, and one night, about three nights before the September 11th attacks, um, a uh, man from a terrorist group in Benghazi met with the wealthy person at the house and gave the details, and Cora had the place wired, and that's how she learned about the attack that was coming, that the fact that they were going to target the ambassador on September 11th. September 11th kind of became a flashpoint after September 11th, 2001, because there was a lot of celebration in different mm-hmm among different factions that celebrated that date. And that's why there was rioting in Cairo on that same date at the same time those attacks were happening in North Africa. The State Department actually put out a warning two days before September 11th, warning that there could be terrorist activity and terrorist attacks as they celebrated the the 11-year anniversary of 9-11. I know, and who can believe it's it's over 20 years, over 21 years. It, it's horrible. I know I watch every year because one of my students was killed in 9-11. Oh, and, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I didn't even know until I spoke to her grandmother, and she told me, and I was like, oh, my God, I was wiped out. So every year on 9-11, I put a special poem to Janine on, on Facebook so everybody remembers her because nobody says yeah. anything. So right. what did... What did Cora think was going to happen? And on page 41, sets us up for the nightmare in chapters 8 and 9. What happens at the U.S. Mission Compound on 9-11, on 9/11-2012? Well, uh, up until, as I said, about uh, 8 or 9 o'clock at night, mm-hmm. since nothing happened, uh, you know, Cora said it never felt so good to be so wrong. Um, mm-hmm. Although she knew this was a huge hit for her credibility, she would rather her credibility take a hit 
then, you know, the United States and, you know, this base and the ambassador have to deal with the ramifications of terrorism. Mm. But at 9 o'clock that night, um, when the attack happened, uh, the ambassador was based less than a mile from uh, the secret CIA compound. And so when they started hitting it with rockets, um, you know, they sent out SOSs, were being attacked, um, and, of course, the team that Cora was with wanted to spring into action immediately, but the CIA held them back. He wouldn't let them, he wouldn't let them respond right away. That's scary. So how far does she go to protect the ambassador? Then we're going to move ahead to 2028. Um, so they encountered a firefight on the, uh, mm-hmm. which is a gun battle on the way to the compound. And Cora is a very adept, uh, marksman and she provided cover for the, the operatives to try, who were trying to get to the embassy to save the ambassador. Um, so they had a firefight there. And then when they actually got to the compound, Cora went to the back uh, because the whole it was a walled compound. The other guys went to the front, and more people came in, and Cora had to put them down, secure the back. But she uh, she had to engage I don't know probably 20 targets before they could even get out of there, and they were not able to find the ambassador's body. Oh God! Unfortunately, he didn't take her too seriously. Maybe if he did, we never. Well, then it would have been the plot. Can't have that. Well, she did so. warn him personally, and he even yeah. said to her, "If, if I had to, he, you know, I've been in the middle. I've been in North Africa for 20 years, and if I had to tuck my head between my legs and hide every time I got a threat, you know, I'd, I'd never see the light of day." And Cora warned him that he's never faced a threat like that, but he didn't believe her. And that's kind of what happened in the actual Benghazi situation. (laughs) That that is scary. So moving up to 2028, this is where it gets to be really sort of like what's in the news. The upcoming president has a fit because he wasn't reelected. So what's his reaction and what's he going to do in order to get reelected? Because he's not exactly what anybody wanted. Well... Um, he had he probably had a very good chance of being reelected, but the economy mm. tanked about three months yeah. before before the election, and uh, no president ever does well when you know the country is in an economic upheaval. So, uh, but he absolutely was not willing to accept the results, and mm. he decided that he would copycat. He would, except he would be more organized, and he would actually use the National Guard, and he would rally his followers in a much similar fashion, but also more overtly, uh, because it had been done before. He he was comfortable with uh, making it a very public spectacle, um, you know. But if you look at January 6th, people were showing up with January 6th Civil War shirts. So yeah. the original January 6th. So he just decided that, and it's my contention that 
you know, this was the first January 6th was a practice run. I believe that I, I believe that that was the precursor, and there will be more incidents like that. And that's kind of the plot of the book. That the second one will be much worse and much more intense than the first one. That's scary. So she she gets a different job, right? So who is Gertie to Cora, and what is Cora's new job? And tell us about the Speaker of the House. Well, what Cora is in 2028 is she is the communications director yeah. for the Speaker of the House. So obviously this is 16 years removed from when she was mm. uh, traipsing around North Africa and the Middle East working for uh, the Defense Intelligence Agency. Now she's actually working for the Speaker of the House. Um, it's a little bit of a mystery. She was she after she got out of the military, she graduated graduated from college and got a master's degree in communication. And when she was working as a journalist, she got recruited um, by the government to kind of serve not just as a communication director, but as uh, a bit of a bodyguard for the Speaker of the House. Now this question gets is really amazing because this has happened before. Why did Locke say there was voter fraud, ballot boxes, he wanted to be confiscated in several states, and he wanted to change the way things were run and what was his plan? Because he was going to get elected no matter what, he thinks. Right, and and what he wanted to do was make sure that he wanted to seize the voting machines so that they could be destroyed, so that there, there would be no paper trail leading back to the fact that he actually lost the election. I often wonder, so they have all these voting machines and stuff. Well, it's different now. It's much different now. You don't have those booths that you go into, or whatever. So I wonder sometimes how accurate the vote really is. That 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 has always worried me. And the fact that if the popular vote votes for somebody, and the electoral college decides, it's sort of like that. That's not fair either. Well, if you look at the last five elections. Yeah. Um, the popular vote uh the popular vote was only followed in three of those the other two yeah um the people that ended up taking office did actually lose the popular vote um, yeah. when you heard all the polling all the polling in the clinton trump election was that the polling said that clinton would win by 3% um, that's exactly what Clinton won by. She won the popular vote by 3%, but the 3% of the vote she won was not enough to overcome the deficit in the Electoral College. Sometimes I wonder if that was really true. That's amazing. <laughs> and how he can um, Now, this is kind of interesting, and I'm sure it could really happen. How can the President of the United States arrest journalists who speak their minds against him and other people in his cabinet? He arrested an awful lot of people. Well, if you look at if you look at how any uh, dictatorship gets off the ground, one of the first things to do is to silence the press. Mm-hmm. And the if you remember during the last presidency before Biden's, uh, there was there was direct attacks on the journalists. And mm-hmm. there was a lot of praise for people like Putin and Xi for oh, imprisoning gosh. or even killing journalists. Um, even Khashoggi, if you remember the man that was killed by the Saudis, 
when you when you start killing journalists to shut them up, um, and you have an American leader condoning that kind of behavior, then the next logical step, it, at least in my mind, is that you start creating legislation so that you make it okay to attack journalists. Because right now it's illegal, but it's but it's becoming a gray area. There was a lot of journalists assaulted in the United States more than any other time in history. And there's kind of a, I wouldn't say a approval of it, but there's also not a condemnation, especially by the last administration, when journalists have been attacked and beaten. I mean, uh, during the January 6th attack, there was a huge pile of cameras and tripods that the crowd had seized, and they were smashing it right there on the lawn of the Capitol during while they were trying to penetrate the Capitol. So the more attacks there are on the press, mm. um, you know, it's it's happening. But my 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 thought was that in the next presidency, maybe there he would be taking steps to legalize the you know, quieting down the inflammatory journalists, if you will. Well, I think a lot of people would like to do that, too. But all the journalists <laughs> that you hear report, I mean, you watch all the stations, and they're all different. The same news, the same thing, but everybody has a different take on it. So you often wonder what's real and what's not. It was just a journalist's point of view. That That's another thing. Well, one of the things I try and do to get my news is I, I pay a great a bit of attention to the British press mm-hmm. because they don't include, they certainly have their own political slant for their own country's politics, but for the United States politics, they are not, you can tell by the way you read their news that they are not invested in the left or the right. They do a lot more fact presenting mm-hmm. than the domestic press here because here it's, it's, to me, news has become editorializing. It's not news. It's people giving their personal opinion on yeah. events, which is what news was never supposed to be. When I was a journalist in the 90s and in the early 2000s, there was absolutely – we never talked about what happened on any other station. We covered the news, and we tried to be fair to both sides of whatever issue we were reporting, and that is – journalism is not that at all anymore it's become it's become propaganda whether it's left wing or right wing i thought it was just me yeah and then some of the channels repeat the thing over and over again the same stories from what eight o'clock in the morning until 10 o'clock at night so you begin to wonder if, if it's all taped when they don't they don't have a change of opinion unless something awful happens so tell us about hsema and their role and who is Dayton, and why did he want to see Quora? So that is the uh, it. Hasima is uh, is a branch of the Department of Homeland Security. Yeah. And there, there's approximately uh, sixty Hasima organization, not organizations, but departments mm-hmm. around the United States and larger cities, including Guam, Seattle, uh, you know, the American territories. And the group and what they're supposed to do is they're supposed to collect intelligence data and coordinate it with the Department of Homeland Security and the Department of Justice. 
So mm-hmm. the, the purpose of them is to gather the intelligence and to make sure everybody's on the same page. And Dayton, who is the head of the Washington, D.C., because there is a federal, obviously there is a federal part of the Department of Homeland Security, but this mm-hmm. is like local offices, if you will, the more regional Department of Homeland Security that gathers information and shares it with you know, their national brothers. And it, it's, it's an intelligence-gathering operation. The reason Dayton, who is the head of Hasima in Washington, D.C., wanted to see Cora is because she had been working closely with him about, you know, is there or is there not going to be another uprising on January 6, mm. 2028? 20, so let's get to the heart of this. Hmm. Why are extremists talking about attacking the Capitol? And what are Locke's supporters saying? And what is he? What happens in chapter? His mind in chapter 12. He's not someone that you could actually take a you know not 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 take a look at or just ignore what he's saying well he is he's basically looking for an easier solution his his first his first objective is not to uh try and take the office by threat of violence or at least not by actual violence and that's why he was uh, there's lawsuits there's fake electors, there's all the things. I mean, it was hard to keep keep ahead. The fiction was hard to keep ahead of the facts of what kept happening mm. <laughs> over the course of the last mm-hmm. two years of what's come out. But the fact of the matter is, is that the president really wanted to, he wanted the path of least resistance, but he did make it very clear to his administration, administration and his staff, if you can't get it done by legal means, we will... I will go all the way to make sure that I retain the presidency. A lot of people do that. So we have Celia, Cecilia, and why do we get an odd feeling about her true goals? And what does Locke expect from his team? I mean, he actually expects to win. Well, and 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 again, that's the and the riot, that's, yeah. That's his goal is that he wants them to come up with a plan so that it doesn't have to become so he doesn't have to turn to violence, but he will he will become he will get a second term, regardless of how he has to do it. As far as Cecilia goes, Cecilia mm-hmm. is his chief of staff. Um, she is his stepdaughter, and Cecilia's role. Nobody really knows the kind of the fun thing about writing Cecilia mm-hmm. is that. Nobody really knows what her goals and what her intentions are. She's obviously driven, ambitious, and brilliant, but what her goals are and how she works and manipulates people makes it very hard to know whose side she's on, what she's going to do. She's unpredictable because she is – that's kind of just the nature of her character. She's brilliant, she's shifty, and you don't know what her true goals are. And – I really enjoyed her back and forth with Cora because Cora mm-hmm. is much more of a black and white person. Cora believes Cora, Cora has a clear sense of right and wrong. Cora has a very clear idea of what it means for her to be a patriot. And so the back and forth with her and Cecilia throughout the book is was a lot of fun to write because they were two characters that were on polar opposites of the political spectrum, 
but they had a mutual respect and even a fondness for one another. I know, and that you you sort of like Cecilia, even though even though you sort of grow to wonder about how you write. So, what does everybody have against the speaker and the vice president? Well, so the speaker has been an outspoken critic of the president, which which is her right. Um, mm-hmm. But if you look at the nature of politics over the course since since 2015, 2016, is there's been a polarization. Um, there is a polarization on both sides, but also a demonization. If you're not on my side, then you're evil. If you're not on my side, you're a pedophile. If you're not on my side, you're a communist. That whole... That's not how our two-party political system was supposed to be. There are supposed to be checks and balances and debates, but now mm. it's like you're on my team or you're the devil, and that is very much uh, that. Uh, I mean, you look at Pelosi's husband who got his head beat in by some guy who came I to know, the door. I know, that was horrible. Or you look at all these court cases where the jurors are being threatened and the officers of the court are being threatened and the judge is being threatened. Um, everything has become very... Uh, if you're against me, then I will weaponize all my forces to crush you, to have members mm. of the public attack you. Um, that's that's kind of the theme that the book is following, is that it's not going to get better. The, the amount of vitriol and venom towards the other side is only going to increase. And, and this is both sides of the political party. The, both sides attack each other with such vigor and such hate. And, yeah. and that, how do you get anything done in government? I mean, look at what's going on with the Speaker of the House right now. I know. The Democrats, getting rid of, getting rid of the current Speaker was such, a, was such an error. Because would you rather have Jim Jordan or... Would you rather have the first? And that's kind of the problem here is that I know. people aren't people are playing checkers. They're not playing chess. They're not thinking any. They're not thinking into the future. And that's again another point of the book is that you know these politicians who you know talk out both sides of their head. They say one thing one day and they say something the other day, and it's not getting better. It's just it's it's getting worse. It's it's devolving. It's it's horrible because we're supposed to be one country and they're fighting against each other. It's almost like each side a bunch of little kids that have to get their way, and they don't care about the outcome, and and that that's that really makes it more scary. So we get to January sixth, twenty twenty one, the Capitol riots, and why did you include this and how will this bring back what really happened when Trump lost the election, and you know, stamped his feet and wanted to cry because he refused to take the loss. Well, I, 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 I'm of the opinion that, that January 6, 2021 was kind of a dry run, like a practice yeah. run. Um, yes, it, yes, it was horrible, but had it been better organized, um, I mean, the fact that the president disappeared for six or seven hours during the, mm-hmm. during the assault on the Capitol, um, I believe he was waiting to see what would happen. Um, you know, would would Pence survive the attack? Um, would Pelosi survive the attack? Um, mm. You know, would there still be a Capitol? You know, six or seven or eight hours later, 
And I think that uh, my book looks at the second attack on the Capitol as more organized. Um, you know, he suspends habeas corpus. He starts arresting press members and members mm-hmm. of Congress to make sure that uh, this time the Capitol will be occupied, but the people that oppose him will be neutralized so that he can move ahead, which he actually does, and moves ahead with his plans. That's even scarier, because who knows if that could actually happen or if it has happened and nobody realizes it. So right. why does Cora have questions about Lobdell, and how do we know that Cora is being played two sides against the middle by more than one person? Well, and that's always Cora's greatest fear. Um, yeah. She has a great she, – she did – Lobdell was in Benghazi with her. Um, the difference is, is that Lobdell actually ran and won a seat in the, in the House of Representatives in Texas running mm-hmm. on the fact that he was the hero of Benghazi. And what he knows and what he shares with Cora is that, look, we know you're the true hero of Benghazi. Um, you know, and he, he, he's curious. He's like, why don't you let that out? And, you know, Cora makes the funny comment. She says, you know, if I wanted, if I wanted love and adulation, I would join the circus. So, <laughs> but it was Lobdell who, you know, rode his success in Benghazi to a position of power in the House of Representatives. Um, again, he's on the opposite end of the political spectrum but he also he is anti-authoritarian and he does believe that his president lost the election and that the president should transfer power to the person that won the election and so that's why he enlists Cora but Cora doesn't mm. know whether to trust him or not Cora never fully trusts him I don't think he fully trusts her either but they do have a comradeship you know, that they forged together when they fought together in Benghazi. So they have loyalty to one another, but they don't trust one another, and they don't fully know what the other's motives is, are. That's, that's even scarier. But before I forget, Thursday, New York Times author Gary Braver will be here with Rumor of Evil on the 6th, author of Girl on Trial. On the 8th, I'm so excited, Philip Margolin, Betrayed. On the ninth, um, on the fifteenth, we have the author of, yeah, good, of the Medusa Murders, and on the twentieth, we have uh, John Dictakis with Fast Track. It should be interesting. The December is is proving to be great. In January, my show is booked till the end of February. So if anybody has something new coming up, speak up and let me know, and I'll fit you in my schedule somehow. So, what is her reputation? How does she take down two of the president's men, and what about the meeting with the deputy director? Well, uh, she doesn't realize at the time. She basically, this is the United States has become much more of a police state in that mm. people are being followed. Um, like, even though Deacon Lobdell is a member of the House Intelligence Committee. He is being followed by the president's men because the president wants to see who he's meeting with. Um, and when he meets with Cora, um, they decide that they're going to take Cora in for questioning. Cora has no idea why they're there. She just knows that there are two 
government goons, if you will, you know, threatening to take her in by gunpoint, and she neutralizes them, doesn't kill them, but she subdues them and makes sure that they don't take her. But the congressman says, look, you're going to get taken anyway. We're both going to be taken in for questioning, so just deal with it. And that's actually how Cora ends up meeting Cecilia Danforth, who's the chief of staff for the president. That is scary, because that could really happen. And if somebody wants you to disappear, you know you're going to disappear. You've got to be careful. Yeah. So what is the plan Locke has to regain the second term, and what does the congressman have in mind? Oh, God. Well, the congressman is is absolutely living a dual life because he absolutely, uh, as far as we can tell when you're reading the book, that he does not want the president to be sworn in for a second term. Mm. But on the flip side, he is he is an agent of the president. He's working for the president, and he even sets up the location for the president to give his speech and be sworn in for a second term, which is directly in front of the FBI building. So he sets that up, but he sets that up um, for an alternative reason that the president is not aware of, obviously. Well, wait till he finds out. How does this get Cora trapped into being part of this diabolical plot? I mean, she's got to really watch out, and they could just, like, say it was her fault or she created the plot. So how does she get involved in, in this part of the diabolical plot? Well, so what happens to Cora is that once the the... The vote is sidetracked. Congress cannot ratify um, a new president. And once that happens and there's another riot in the Capitol, once Cora fights her way out of that riot to make sure that the speaker's safe, uh, basically now she is facing the new reality that President Locke will assume power and will serve another term. And... She obviously doesn't want that to happen, and in her meetings with her old comrade from Benghazi, Deacon Lobdell, they concoct a plan to make sure that's not going to happen. But Cora doesn't realize how far the congressman's willing to go to keep the president out of office. So that's kind of the that's the twist in the book that um, kind of takes everybody by surprise is that uh, Cora thought she'd be working against the Locke administration, but she didn't think she was going to be trying to do harm to the president. That's exactly what it says, but I'm not going to ask this next question. So what happens on January 6, 2029, a year later? And how does it unfold and how does it end without giving it away? Um, well, basically the congressman's plan does outwit Cora. He does find a way to... He does find a way to make sure the president doesn't take power. Um, mm. She opposes that effort, um, and there's kind of a uh, there's a very violent conflict at the end of the book uh, mm-hmm. that makes sure that the president isn't going to uh, serve a second term. But then Cora is left to deal with Deacon Lobdell again because once again there at odds and how to do everything, including save the country, let the country move forward, things of that nature. Well, what, she gets arrested, 
and who was behind him? What happened with the vice president and um, a whole bunch of other people that they get that they get captured? The speaker, the vice president, and everybody. Why, why did they? How did they get away with that? And what happens? That that was really well, scary when I read it. Well, once uh, once all these people are taken into custody, um, and it, it's a very short amount of time before uh, a new leader comes into place, and Cecilia Danforth continues to be acting chief of staff and before the vote to ratify the president who won the election is completed um the vice president was sworn in as the next president and he basically pardoned all the people that the president had arrested the day before yeah that's happened that's amazing so how does she feel? I mean, her family is in danger. What happens when you have this type of a job? Who offers her a job, and what happens? What dangers are her family in? I mean, politicians have to do all the politicians' families, like the president, of course, and nurse to them. Speaker of the House, do they have security for their families too? Because you never know well, what's going to happen. Right. It, it it all depends on how how of a how much of a. Uh, prominent figure you are in terms of how much protection you need and how much scrutiny you're under. Um, obviously, if the president says that, you know, you're a piece of trash and you should be killed, like I'm sure this judge, mm -hmm. you know, a lot of these judges have had to um, mm -hmm. have marshals protect them and protect their family to make sure that they're not swept up by the violence that's being threatened against them. Um, as far as Cora goes, once Cora makes the decision to uh, work with Lobdell, she gets her family secluded into hiding by uh, somebody she trusts to make sure that her family's not captured and used as leverage against her. Well, you hear that in the news every single day. It gets scary, really scary. I mean, just see what you happen to you is is amazing. It's it's frightening because you want to live in your city, you want to go to shows, you want to go to Manhattan, and then crazy people. That's yes, even well, worse. and and that and that's kind of uh, that is. I mean, the, our cities are getting. New York has just declined so much in the last five years, just in terms of. Um, I spend a lot of time in New York City, and the. The amount of people on the street is twice what it was five years ago. So the city has really kind of taken a downturn. I'm, I'm not attributing that to one thing or another. It's just it's a very it's a very different New York City than it was just five years ago. I know, and there's a lot of different kinds of factions and different people, and it's just like you you have to look at somebody. You have to be careful. I know the last time I was in the city was a while ago. And I just, we just walked in the street and everybody was quiet. Nobody talked to anybody. Nobody looked at anybody. They were on their cell phones, which is just fine yeah. with me. You don't, you don't want to say hello or anything. And yet even where I used to live in the South Bronx, people used to say good morning and it was not the safest neighborhood. But, yeah. So what and how does Cora hope to save the speaker? And what happens if, what would have happened if Locke succeeded? What would have happened then? Well, had Locke seceded, he would have had his second term, and uh, one of the things he did uh, talk about uh, was suspending term limits and basically mm -hmm. making himself 
kind of like President Putin. Like Putin, if you ever see the uh, results for the elections in Russia, Putin mm-hmm. wins 90% of the vote every time he runs. Now, is he really getting 90% of the vote? Um, nah. That seems impossible in any scenario. But when you control the vote and you control the people and you control those around you, then, you know, obviously you're certainly not a democracy. <laughs> but... But you still, you know, in that case, you can call yourself whatever you want. Uh, Putin still calls himself president. He doesn't call himself the supreme leader or dictator, but he calls himself, you know, he is in charge of the country, and and there's no question about that, and there's nobody to stand up to him to do anything about it. That's what's really scary. I think he thinks he's his own guard. And he has this philosophy, and he doesn't care what anybody else thinks. And God forbid if anybody ran against him and won, they probably would be dead in five minutes after the election. That's what's really scary. And he he actually justifies what he does. That's even more scary. And unfortunately, let's hope that we don't have too many more people like that that are running countries. That's what's really, really, really horrible. So... The plan does not stop the murders, and in the end, how does Corey justify it in her own mind? Um, Well, I don't. I I think the problem is is that Cora doesn't justify it in her own mind. Cora considers herself part of the worst intelligence failure in American history. And um, what's really interesting is that uh, I apparently didn't suss that out enough because my publisher. When Cora says that, she she wanted further explanation. Why does Cora think that she failed? Yeah. And and then I and so then I did spell out. I said the reason Cora failed is because you know a lot of people were killed and she didn't accomplish her objective. And even though democracy was saved, uh, I think that she believes that she failed because the cost was too high. Then what happened on January 7th, the day after? Uh, the new president had been sworn in. Um, uh, the new president was sworn in. The, the vice president was sworn in. And the president-elect, though we don't know whether it's going to happen or not, is due to be mm-hmm. sworn in two weeks later. So we don't know if that happens or not. We will probably very likely find out in the sequel to this book. I was just going <laughs> to ask that question. <laughs> but as of right now, we don't know what happens. We know that the vice president has legally and rightfully assumed um, the mantle of the presidency, but he's only supposed to take it for two weeks until the properly elected president-elect takes office. What do they really want him, or do they want Sebastian? <laughs> what can I say? So right. Cora finally gets to go home or whatever, and how does her daughter feel about it? What does she say? That must be scary for a little kid. Yeah, and and that was the uh, – I, I didn't go into too much detail on the no. seclusion, but I did say that, you know, Cora's family had basically been squirreled away in the mountains in the uh, – West Virginia area, which is not too far from Washington, D.C. Um, and when the daughter and the mother were reunited, the daughter was just delighted to see her mother again, although very distraught at her mother's physical condition. Her mother had just been through, you know, a, a few cataclysmic events and was burned and scarred and That's not scary. maimed, but obviously had a long road of recovery. But the daughter 
was just said, you know, mommy, I I knew you'd I knew you'd make it home to me. You have to have faith. That I can tell you. I learned that this past two three weeks. I learned you have to have faith that when something bad happens, that it's going to turn itself around and you're going to have a miracle. That's the truth. So yeah. where where do you see her next? Um. Well, Cora's next. The the next iteration of Cora takes place on the uh, Mexico Texas border. Mm. Um, I spent I spent a couple weeks down there, uh, going back and forth between El Paso and Juarez, um, Eagle Pass and Piedras Negras, and uh, I I walked into Mexico, drove into Mexico. Um, I had I walked with some families who were looking for a gap in the wall. I spent a lot of time talking to immigration customs enforcement agents, um, national guardsmen, and you know I really got a sense of what they were doing down there. And I also had uh, a brief run-in with uh, the cartel. Uh, that was actually Ooh. in uh, Tijuana when I was on the San Isidro, um, California border, but. Um, I really wanted to immerse myself in that, in that, in those situations, and there, and, and there was some. I came across some very disturbing violence. the The day I landed was the same day that the night before, 40 Venezuelans had burned to death in uh, in a prison in Juarez. Oh God! Um, they weren't criminals. They were just people that had been trying to cross the border, and but they locked them up anyway, and. So the whole area is kind of at a flashpoint, and um, I think Cora is one of the few people who can go down there and straighten it out. <laughs> well, we we're having a lot of dissension up here with the immigrants. Yes. We have thousands, hundreds of thousands of them, and they don't know where to put them, and they were staying in somebody's house, about 200 of them, then they finally got them out of there. Then they took over the hotels, and I don't think the mayor of New York did a very good job. He didn't plan this out well, and I feel bad for them, but I feel more bad. I mean, all of a sudden they're deciding on who, um, whatchamacallit, who who deserves jobs, who doesn't. Uh, they're more concerned about them than they are than they are about our our people getting jobs. And there's there's, there's like job fairs and everything. But you well, know what? And I can tell you that whatever the situation is up here in yeah. New York and the other cities where they're busing immigrants, I can tell you that it's a hundred times worse right on the border with what's going on in terms of uh, the security, the amount of money that the government is spending right now. Uh, you know, 24-hour helicopters, and there's thousands of vans, there's guys on horseback, there's guys on pontoon boats. Mm. I mean, the amount of border agents down there at the border, and they're, 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 they're trying to bottle up a hurricane, and it's not working. So, uh, And that's one of the reasons why I chose that for the next venue for Cora. Well, I can't wait to read it. When is it coming out? When do I get it? Because I'm sure they're going to uh, send it to me. <laughs> I, I what will I absolutely say? send it to you. It's it's not. Um, it all the research is done. Thank goodness. I I had to take a trip to D.C. and I had to take a couple trips to the the shipyards in Philadelphia to finalize oh, my research. But now that my research is done, um, you know I hope to have the book done by May. 
end of May. Well, I'm sure I'll get it before you send it out. Okay. Say, well, somebody has. Somebody has. I, I never know. I yesterday, book mail has not brought anything. The post office, I think, went to sleep. And all Uh-oh. of a sudden, yesterday, I got. I was so excited. I got "Twas the Bite Before Christmas." David Rosenfeld. Oh and, wow, that's fantastic. Yeah, well, Andy Carpenter is a riot, and the publisher just sent it. It was a surprise. I got so excited. That because I'm reading a book that Harper Collins just put out, and it's not out till March, and it's a very well written, but I've never met a book that the first part ends and the second part is like, huh, where did that come from, and who is that, and here were these characters, and they don't explain how the character changed her name or where she lived, and I'm saying, and it was, it's the most unhappy book I've ever read ever. There's no happiness in the whole book at all. That's oh. what's really sad. So where can everybody find out about you? And if are you going to do another one with Gina? She's going to ask me. Um, I'm I'm happy to talk to whoever about the book. I mean, I really, I've gotten mm-hmm. such great feedback on Cora, um, yeah. which has been kind of gratifying because during the process of writing, a lot of there was a lot of advice that I should change my protagonist to a man, but yeah. that. I, I told them that if I had to change it to a man, then the book would never be published because I was sticking with, you know, Cora as a character. Um, but also, one of the central themes of the book, which is hard to see with all the action and the political intrigue, is the fact that, you know, Cora is a single mother and she is completely devoted to her daughter. And I, I kind of make that theme of almost every chapter at some point is that once she becomes a mom, she is just as invested as being a mom as she is in protecting the country. Well, wait till you read my review later when I get back um, from getting some fresh air <laughs> um, before it rains. I'm going to post your review on my Just Reviews, and I'll post it with my 10,000 uh, stars. I can't believe this. I wrote the most beautiful description on my thing, and of course, for some reason, there's a misspelling. Oh well, I'll fix it. I, I think this happens all this happens all the time. I type, and I and I type everything on my notepad. The only reason why your review didn't disappear on my computer is because it's on my phone. Oh, oh for real? Yeah, lucky it, for it me. has. And lucky for me, lucky for me, I'd have to write it over, and I read it. But thank you so much. Uh, where can everybody get all of your books? Before I forget. Um, actually, they're available any place where you buy books. It's available, obviously, on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Books A Million, Kobo, Hudson Booksellers, even Target. There's really there's no place where you can't find the book. Um, it's also on Audible. Um, mm. And uh, as I said, there's uh, book, bookthrill.com, um, yeah. bookshop.com. I'm on there, too. Me. Yep. So it's well, it's, you know, it's, check check Strand because I found out my books are there. I didn't even know they were there on Strand Bookstore, and on yep. Walmart and Walgreens and ever and in China <laughs> and every oh, every country in the world. <laughs> not not that amazing. everybody's buying my scary stuff because I write horror. Right. They went from the point of view of the dead person telling their story to the world and how they were wrongly accused. I'm going to oh, have my. to do something something different. But thank you so much. This is great, and I hope that you get to send me the book next time because I definitely want to see what happens with Cora. 
And I will absolutely that, make sure you you get it. I'll put you absolutely at the top of the mailing list. I wanted one of Griff Coffee, people. <laughs> absolutely. Thank you so much. Everybody have a great day, and bye. All right, bye-bye.